square fielder. He's gone to the dogs. Welcome. This is your host, Steve Fielder, coming at you one more time on the Gone to the Dogs podcast. Today, we're podcasting live from the American Plot Association's annual breed days in Greenville, Tennessee. Uh, It's been a busy weekend already. This is Saturday morning, and uh, I was able to corral a couple of guys that have been real busy here at Breed Days, uh, and uh, without uh, listing all the things they've been into here the last couple of days, uh, I'll let them talk about that as we go along. But I'm very, very happy to introduce to you uh, my friend and uh, fellow plot enthusiast from up in Delta, Ohio, Bill Scheninger. How are you doing, Bill? Doing well. Thanks, Steve. Well, it's good to be with you for sure. And we've also managed to corral this guy that uh, loses all the sleep for you out there handling dogs and so forth. I believe he's also from Delta, Ohio, uh, uh, a young man here with all the energy that I wish I had, Alex Recker. Alex, how are you, Fred? Good. How are you, Steve? Oh, man, it's I'm, I couldn't be better. Well, I really appreciate you guys taking the time today to uh, spend a few minutes in recording with me, and I know that our listeners are going to enjoy this episode because I think you both have a lot of interesting things to say. Um First of all, let's just get the little details out of the way, just a little bit about who you are and uh, uh, what you do, and um, then we'll get into how you got involved in hunting this breed of dogs that would probably be considered a rare breed in most dog circles, certainly in UKC out of the coonhound breeds with the exception of the American Leopards, which came aboard rather late in the game the plot is probably the fewest in number but for enthusiasts that know the breed and all uh there's just nothing like them and that's what i want to kind of peel back the layers of the onion so to speak today and kind of see why you know that we like these plot dogs and and what we see in them that maybe other people don't and then just you know in general have a good coon hunting conversation you guys up for that absolutely (laughs) okay bill uh, i'll let you lead off buddy tell us a little bit about you well i'm a farmer up in delta ohio we farm about two thousand acres of corn soybeans and wheat uh i have a plant breeding or a seed business and i do some of my own plant breeding and that's um i don't know that may be something that complements my hound business a little bit that uh I I understand genetics and pedigrees a little better than than your average cat maybe, so um, you know that's been that's been my my life uh, working have a family farm there that my dad started. Um, generally, I have a few people working for me, and I'm fortunate right now that I can employ a handler and and a farmhand at the same time. So. Oh, all right. So that's something I learned that I didn't realize about you, Alex. Tell tell my listeners a a little bit about yourself, including this work uh, for Bill. Well, Steve, I uh, I grew up in Putnam County, Ohio, which is about an hour south of uh, of Delta. Um, I I grew up in a, a small, real small town, a farm family. Uh, both my parents are are from large German Catholic families. Um, you know my uncle Gordy from down in Florida, oh, Shore, yeah, Gordy Schroeder, well. and. Uh, 
he he i believe he was along the first time i went i went coon hunting and uh there's only been two or three times ever since then him living in florida but um so that's kind of how i got into it okay okay and, and come around plot dogs at least well uh you know, there's so many ways I I, I want to go with this conversation and all, and I guess this would be a good. Uh, well, let me let me lay a little a background then, Bill. Let's let's talk about how you got involved initially with the plot breed. Can I go way back and start? You off? can go as far back as you want when well, the first two plots came off the ark, if you want to. Go. Well, I, I was going to start with <laughs> my hunt, hunting with my dad as a child. Oh, there you go. You Those know. are always great stories. So, so like say, like Alex's story, I come from a, a German Catholic family, and uh, my parents had six children. I'm the oldest of six children, and I had a, another brother a year and a half younger than me, and. Um, Mom needed a break. Dad wanted to go coon hunt. <laughs> so he drug us boys along at night. And we were just little tykes. And it was it was a chore for dad to take us. And it was um it was a challenge to keep up. Um back in those days, um the, the fields were all well, in the area where I live, it's patchwoods. Patchwoods and farm ground. And back in those old days, in the fall, those farmers were fall plowing and we could hear the I remember hearing the the bang, bang, bang of the ears on the ear corn. Some farmer working late at night, and those those ears hitting the hitting the wagon. And then uh, a lot of times, hear that fender mounted radio, and that old farmer out there plowing <laughs> late at night. When we'd have the you know the rain and the mud was terrible. I remember the mud sticking to our boots, and we were so tired and had those kerosene lanterns. And Dad would get so aggravated, we'd fall down and break the globe. And <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, Dad, Dad hunted. Uh, Black and tans. Um, he was he was loved his coon hunting. It was his release. But dad was a businessman and a family man, and we didn't really. Dad didn't spend a lot of money on his on his hounds. I mean, he 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 bought what he could afford, but first and foremost was getting his successful business and taking care of his family. Sure. So as it should be. Yeah. Dad didn't really invest any money in dogs until about uh, the late eighties. He bought a couple of nice dogs um, and, and bred a couple of dogs, found a friend that had a, a female direct out of Pac-Man. He switched over to the walkers and dad did just a little bit of coon hunting and from 85 to about 90 or a little bit of competition coon hunting. I should say from 85 to about 90. I was in college and I graduated from high school in 1980. And back in those days, we could drink at 18. And uh, uh -oh. lucky dog. <laughs> my my parents were a little concerned about what I was doing with some of my spare time, um, and thought that maybe if I got more interested in coon hunting, it would be a good idea. And Dad had sold a, a nice black and tan, young black and tan, to a fella, and regretted it from the day he did. Went and encouraged me to see if I could purchase that dog back. I was able to contact him, and we agreed on a purchase price of exactly double what my dad had sold the dog for. <laughs> so, of course, uh, that that next weekend, I uh, on my way home from college, I stopped in to see the man, purchase that little female black and tan, put her in the trunk of my car. Imagine that headed <laughs> headed home. Uh, we tied her up, and we were busy. I believe that was a uh, spring planting time. So we were, we were busy getting the crops in the ground. Didn't get to turn her loose that weekend. And 
believe it was the weekend, the following weekend when I came home. We loaded up and took that little dog all by herself to the woods, turned her loose, and she busted out of that little patch woods, headed to the next one. And Dad and I were crossing, crossing this woven wire fence to hightail it across the field to that next woods. I heard the gunshots, two shots, and that dog yipped, and that was then. That was all we heard. Dad just, I, I just remember my heart sinking like it's never sunk before at that that instant. And Dad says, "Oh my, what are we gonna do now?" I said, "We're going over there." This I was, I was a young college athlete. I was wrestling in college, and I was, you know, nineteen years old or something, or maybe yeah, probably nineteen, and just full of, full of testosterone. And I was, I was fighting mad. We pulled in this guy's driveway and dad says, you sit in the truck. <laughs> okay. You're my dad. He went up there and talked to him and you know, the story goes is, so I didn't know it was your dog and all that. And, and okay, whatever we left, left, you know, like, like we used to do, we left our, our coat and then the dog box where, where we turned out that night, didn't see the dog, didn't see the dog. And, uh, I remember it was about three weeks later, a neighbor stopped by and Bob, he pulled in and talked to my dad and says, I found Bill's dog. She had a hole in the side of her the size of a volleyball and full of maggots. And oh, he says, I, I took care of her. And, you know, dad told me and I was just fighting mad. I said, I said, you should have took that dog back to that guy. And if he wanted to shoot her so bad, he could shoot her now. You know, but it, it just it, it broke me again. I mean, I just, I lost my spirit and I just, I took a, you know, my interest was just kind of shattered. I went along with my dad hunting some during that time, but, uh, it just, I, I didn't have a passion for the sport. Um, that dad was getting into the, into the Walker dogs and, um, started, was doing a little bit of competition hunting and asked me to go along with him a few times. Well, you know, father-son thing, and he was proud of his dogs. You know, my next youngest brother was in college too, and he wanted to show show me what dogs could do, and and I, I went along some, and then uh, just it just didn't didn't excite me. Like I say, I was a little sidetracked, you know, beer and girls at that time, and and uh, it's, it, but then in in 1988. Um, a heavy tractor weight fell on my dad's foot and he busted his foot up real bad and he, he couldn't walk very good. And, and, uh, he, he got himself a team of mules and dad, dad always had a passion for horses and equine. And he tells the story about when, when they switched from horses to, to tractor power on the farm. And that was a real hard thing for him. It was really disappointing when he came from home from school and the horses were sold. So we always had some horses around, but the kids were out of, you know, 4-H was dwindling down for us at the time. And dad got himself his own team of mules. And um, dad was a trainer. He trained dogs. We raised English shepherds since he was 12 years. Dad was 12 years old. Um, he, he trained those dogs to work cattle, trained our hounds, trained six kids, managed employees. And a lot of time there was training involved in that. We, we raised a lot of vegetables on the farm in the, through the 60s and 70s. And, you know, had a lot of migrant labor. And so he, he managed a lot of people. Dad managed with a heavier hand than, than I thought was necessary. And, you know, I, 
I observed that and didn't want to be exactly like my dad, but uh, we got through it. We got through it. I hunted with dad and some off the mules. He really wanted me to go. He really wanted me to enjoy it. He would saddle the mule up and he'd put the saddles away when we got home. So I just had to, had to leave and go, go back to go home and go to bed. But at that time, dad was taking care of a backseat in the farming operation. So I had to, I had to get up and manage, manage the farm the next morning. So that's kind of the way things worked out. Um, but as he got into the walkers, we had, we got patchwoods there and they, those walkers traveled. They really moved. And I remember turning those dogs loose and you just didn't know where they were going to be. And that thing, that just wasn't me. I like, we talked about the traffic and the paved roads and, and the anxiety that comes along with knowing your dog's crossing a busy road and it just wasn't enjoyable. And that, that's kind of the whole thing. I took, like I say, I took a backseat from serious coon hunting. It was, my parents always thought that you should learn to do things. And sometimes they'll take a back burner and they come back to you later in life if you have those skills. So I knew how to coon hunt. I knew how to train dogs, but it just, it took a back burner to me. Um, like I say, I lost my, lost the fire. I was taking over the family farm. Um, had a, I was newly married and had a couple of stepsons. And so coon hunting took a back seat until about, uh, well, it was just before I turned 50 years old, my nephew got a, got a dog and I thought I wanted to go hunting with him some. And the, the same fellow that found my dog when, after she was shot says, you know, there's a guy down the road that's getting out of coon hunting. He's got some dogs in the kennel. And I, I went down there to see him and he had two plots in the kennel. He had a, and I'd never, I didn't know what a plot dog was. He had two plots, a little female and a, and a big male. And I just had knee surgery and I, I'll take that little female. And it just, it lit a whole new fire in me, the experience with that dog. She has such a good handle on her. I remember turning her loose in the yard. Name was called her baby girl, turn her loose in the yard. And she, you know, she'd get a couple hundred yards away. And I'd say, baby girl, come. And she would run so hard, run so fast, slide like a horse on her haunches right up to you, right in front of you. And just to have a handle on a dog like that, it just, it, a dog with, that was obedient. And, and she was a coon dog. Oh, man, she was a coon dog. And another tragic story, we only hunted for a few weeks that season and she got killed on the road. But well, that, was a, that was a devastating morning for me. Um, I, I picked her up and I took her home. Uh, I didn't even know, know what had happened. And then I took her home. I went and told my dad about what happened. Cause I knew I was looking for some, uh, consolation or somebody to, to sympathize with me. And I told my dad what happened. And, and just as, just as I was telling him the story, the doorbell rang at his house and a gentleman came and said that, uh, he's, he was the one that hit my dog on the road. And uh, I shook his hand and I told him I, I appreciated him uh, coming by to tell me and manning up for it. And he says, oh, by the way, I just got back from the uh, body shop and the insurance adjuster and you're going to owe me $1,200 to fix my car. <laughs> oh, no. He, no big deal. It'll be on your, it'll be on your uh, homeowner's policy. <laughs> and uh, I could, so he left and I, mm. my dad says when it rains, it pours and. I called immediately called my insurance agent and he says, no, actually it won't be on your homeowners. It'll be on your farm policy. And 
I can't tell you what to do, but I wouldn't file that claim. Yeah. <laughs> so so yeah, I got to make dig your in my rates pocket. Go up probably. Yeah. yeah. So I was I was I was pretty broken. Uh took a little break for a couple of weeks and thought about just being done again. And uh early days of the internet, I did a Google search for uh well, I looked at her looked at her papers. All I had was her puppy papers. I wasn't really chasing anything, didn't have any big dreams at the time, just wanted to pleasure hunt. I looked at her papers and I saw that her sire was uh, River Bluff Brindle Cowboy Up. I did a little Google search, found a ad or a web page that Bill Reddick had and phone number on there. And I called and Craig Grau answered the phone and said he had a couple of pups out of a cowboy and they were, they were available. And I, so I headed out there and I ended up picking up a, a sister to that, a half sister to my baby girl dog. And I got her started. No problem. She was really turning it on. I was got, got my, the fire going in me again. And as I thought about the situation and things that had transpired, nobody had ever seen baby girl go except for me. I, I always hunted her alone and, um, decided that I needed to, she either needed a new home where somebody, she would get some exposure. Or I needed to learn to competition hunt. I'd never been to a competition hunt, never saw a rule book, didn't know any rules, but, uh, and my dad had not encouraged me to do that. Let me ask you a question here, kind of in keeping with our title of this podcast, hunting plots in a Walker world. When you you reached out to buy puppies. Did you consider other breeds at that time, or were you just so fixated on the plot? I was I was fixated on what I'd see, not necessarily the plot breed. Um, I was fixated on what the traits I saw in that that specific dog, and I had never seen them before. And a switch flip that said that was something those that handle and that personality and that that bond that, that hound owner or handler bond was something special within the plots. I've been around a lot of dogs. I just never seen that in, in a hound before. So that's, that's kind of what, that's the time that started me. Okay. So you experienced this and, and recognized it rather than hearing it from someone else. Could we hear this a lot? You know, plots are different plots can be one man dogs, plots are it's different with a plot. So you saw this and decided you wanted more of that. Abs- right? Absolutely. I to be honest, I wasn't that engaged in the coon hunting world. I didn't wasn't taking the magazines at the time. And the, my first plot was the first plot I ever saw. The first mm. time I'd ever even heard about plots. And this was this was a whole new experience, this this relationship and this type of dog and this I mean I I didn't care that they were plots I mean it just I wanted more of what I had it just that experience energized me yeah well for me real briefly you know my dad's first experience with plot was when he was coon hunting with a great black and tan and and two plot females were on that hunt and they started a bear the black and tan did but the black and tan came back the the plots took the bear on, caught the bear. They lost the bear and the snow, uh, dogs in a snowstorm. But that lit the fire for bear hunting in my dad. 
And what he saw out of those two plot females made him want to have a plot because they, you know, showed him that they could catch a bear. The things you're talking about came along later for us. You know, uh, that plot personality and all wasn't uh, the impetus to begin with. But as we began to have these dogs down through the years and all, we you know, began to realize what, what you saw right away. And, and those, those traits, those characteristics, they, they inspired me, they motivated me. But then it was, I don't know, it, 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 I can't even explain it, but uh, I've always been a little bit different. And we noticed that, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> that, that is, but, that is for sure. No, but seriously, go at ahead. a point in my life, and probably while I was in college, or, or shortly after, I decided to embrace that difference, and and this was just an opportunity to do that. I remember the one of the first hunts I went to. Um, actually, I think first or second hunt I went to, Luke Stark was along. And he was our guide and judge that night, and and he he said he was a little he was a little spooked by me because he hadn't he hadn't hunted with a plot or a plot in a long time, and he thought that a guy brought a plot to a hunt, he was going to have something special. I remember the first time I went to Liberty Center to a hunt, and uh, Jeff Purdue was our guide and judge, and somebody called and he he answered and answered the phone. He says, "You're not going to believe this." I'm on a cast with a plot, a red bone, a black and tan, and a blue tick. <laughs> <laughs> and a Duke's mixture right there. Huh? Yeah, didn't even have a walker on the cast. So, um, but I don't know. And it 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 was a great opportunity for me because people didn't weren't hadn't experienced hunting with plots, and I had a good one. And you know there weren't many plots in the area, and I got kind of known as as the the plot, the plot man. man. It, the the next connection was kind of another Google search. I uh, so I had this young dog, and I wanted to find you know somebody to develop a relationship with in the plot breed. And I Google, googled plot hounds and in the you know my area, and came up with uh, the Millennium Magic plots. Hmm. And I made a phone call and talked to John Johnson and. He invited me up, and Stephen King came over. He introduced me to Stephen King, and we went coon hunting. And um, that was kind of a humbling moment. Sat around that kitchen table with John Johnson. I've been there. And, yeah. And he went, we went hunting that night and came back. We didn't hunt a long time that night, but Stephen was hunting his his sugar babe dog and Sadie. They were they were within a few months of the same age, and came back and. Uh, you know, John, he kind of sized me up sitting around that kitchen table, and he says, why don't you send Jasmine home with Bill, Stephen? And I I was about in tears thinking that a man would send a, a good dog home with me and take that chance, especially after what I'd been through with a dog getting killed on the road. And, you know, boy, if, you, if you're willing to do that, you know, I'd sure like to have her. And I Jasmine was a really nice dog. And she was she was bred at the time, and I they wanted her back. They raised litter of pups, and they offered to sell her to me, and I bought her. And she ended up being Lazarus's dam then, right? right. So that's how that's how that connection was made. I got gotcha. you. 
Well, you know, back in the day when I started, you talked about being uh, an anomaly there in Ohio, having the only plot and all. We were kind of that way, too. There, the plots hadn't gotten popular in West Virginia at that point. The oldest plot breeder alive at that time was Isaiah Kidd, and he was there, but he wasn't into competition hunting or anything. He was strictly a bear hunter, and by the time I really got to know Mr. Kidd, he was already nearing 80 or his early 80s. But, um, but I wanted to go to night hunts. You know, and I wanted to hunt the dogs and bench and do bench shows and all that stuff. So, you know, I imagine to a degree I got that designation, you know, in my area as well. But I can well remember back in those days, most people were a little afraid of plots. They had heard a lot of rumors and all that these are bear dogs, hog dogs, they're vicious, you know, they'll take your dog off a tree, yada, yada. I often wondered if that was maybe because of brindle color and most bulldogs are brindle or what, but some there was that stigma about a plot dog when I was a, a kid, you know, and, and first started out. And of course, that's all been dispelled, you know. Sure, <laughs> it's been know? it's been dispelled, but the rumors carry on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, old wives' tales and stuff like that. We we have uh, uh, what is it? The flat Earth people, <laughs> you know, it takes all kinds of filth freeway. <laughs> that's for sure. Well, Bill. Okay, so you got Jasmine. So. How old was she when that happened? Um, I, I think she was like six and a half years old when I got her there. Um, and you know, I had her and she, she'd raised several pups for the Money Magic crew and Johnson's. And um, I decided that uh, I, I might want to raise a litter of pups. And I contacted, I con actually contacted Craig Graw about it. And there was some, uh, um, I don't know. There must have been some sort of conflict between Bill Reddick and the Millennium Magic people because they he he just said he made a promise he wouldn't breed to a gravedigger dog. So I explored other options and I I met this gentleman by Alex Carter out in Missouri. And Alex had, it just so happened that Alex had uh a lot of Kansas sizzle and heat breeding in his kennel. And come to find out his his heat breeding came from a gentleman named Kevin Gervler. And Kevin, I think when, I think he graduated high school about 88. And shortly after he got out of high school, he was able to breed directly to, to Kansas Sizzle and Heat. He developed a relationship with Jim Cannon. and Well, Heat won the world championship, you know, in 1988 there in your home state, Mount Gilead, Ohio. Ohio's where he wanted. And uh, so he was getting some of the heat dog right when he was at his peak. At the, at a, the peak of yeah. his fame. Right. Yes. Yeah. So that was kind of exciting to go out there and uh, and, and meet Kevin and get, have an opportunity to bring some of that back. And and I was so, so green to all this. I didn't even know what I was doing. I just, I'd heard that he had won the world hunt, but I didn't know that I was line breeding on 
Garrison's Brindle Ranger, and because that's what a lot of the Millennium Magic dogs were doing. I just some things just fell in place for me, and it was it was just a great opportunity, and I was I was excited to do it. So that was the first litter of pups I raised out of out of Jasmine was bred to that dog. Um, they turned out to be coon dogs, but nothing exceptional. And then we, uh, I had seen this dog online, this fella, um, they were at the Illinois, uh, um, Wisconsin line. This Josh by had a dog that was, that was out of cowboy up. And I thought, I'm going to breed Sadie to that dog someday. Then we communicated and uh, kind of had a verbal agreement to do that. And about a year later, I saw an ad and I'm reading this ad for this dog. And I got down to the bottom of the ad, and I realized, that's, that's Linko Valentine. That's the dog I'm going to breed to, and he's got it for sale. Well, I had to mm. buy him. <laughs> no, just, so yeah. I, I went out there and bought Link, and to make a long story short, uh, brought Link home and bred her to Jasmine, and that's where the, the litter of pups came from. That, uh, I got you. Well, we're going to get into where Alex enters the picture here in just a little bit, but uh, he's been very patient over here, which is not one of Alex's virtues. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, he's been a trooper here so far. We've been picking on Alex, but Alex, for a couple of days, <laughs> Alex can take it. It's better than me. In fact, he can dish it out better than he can take it. I think. Well. Pretty even keel there, <laughs> yeah. maybe. But we definitely want to talk to Alex. But, okay, so for our listeners, uh, and and we'll get into that, Lazarus, want, you know, his claim to fame was winning plot days in 2021, yes, right? Sir. Yes, sir. And to win plot days, there's an award, and I mentioned this gentleman earlier, Isaiah Kidd. The Isaiah Kidd Award is for the high-scoring dog for three nights combined, and they take the top cast winners first. In other words, if you've got three cast wins with 25 points each and somebody else has a 1,000-point cast win but didn't win his cast the other two nights or whatever, he, those three cast wins with 25 are going to be the winner. Yes. So the idea is to win your cast all three nights if you can. When I won the opposite sex back in 1997, I only had two cast wins out of three. So it's pretty tough, and all the best plots in the country are there at Plot Days competing for that award. So when Lazarus won that, that became big news. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I really didn't. You know, I had heard about Lazarus and his little mate Joe from my good friend Gordy, your uncle, Yes, Alex. Sir. Yes, sir. And and all, but you know that's when things kind of, in a positive way, hit the fan. But uh, I want to talk about those puppies okay. when they came along, and and that period of time between, you know, being sure. Uh, I'll try not to drag it out for an hour here, but right, uh, right. It's, Don't it's, do like I do. Okay, <laughs> it's kind of a story, and it's it's kind of a touching story. Um, so we had this litter of puppies, and my wife calls me one day. The pups are, well, the first day, it was a difficult labor, I guess. Um, Jasmine just, just had a hard time. It was about a 24-hour labor, and I, she, was, she was exhausted. And I took her 
took her to see uh, Doc Kelly up to Addison, Michigan. And, and uh, he, he says that uh, she's going to be all right. He gave her a shot of penicillin and oxytocin. He says, I don't, that's not normal procedure for every litter of pups, but he says she needs some good nutrition and she'll be fine. And so we came home and uh, she was good for the next couple of days. And then my wife calls me about the fifth day and says, you got to get home right now. Something's wrong with Jasmine and I can see her stomach growing and she's foaming at the mouth. I, I rushed home and got on the phone describing her symptoms to several veterinarians and nobody would look at her. They said, you need to get her to Michigan State. And finally got this Dr. Spies, who we had a long relationship with, but hadn't done much business with him in recent years, said he'd bring her in. And he, he says, she's got a, she's got a twisted gut. And I, he says, you know, you need to take her to Michigan State. He, he said, you want us to get an estimate? I said, yeah. And so he called called up there and told him, he says, uh, eight to $12,000, you'll probably, you'll lose the pups. And she's only got about a 50% chance of survival. And likely she'll twist her gut again. And I says, well, is there anything you can do? And he says, well, we can, we can put a needle in her and try to let some air off and maybe buy you a few more days. And I said, well, let's do that. So we, uh, we did that, brought her home and this, this, uh, I, I knew just from raising cattle that when animals bloat like that, you have to keep them active because it helps them to pass that gas. So we were doing the best we could to keep her active. And I don't know, as the day or two later, I came out, I had a young fellow helping me do chores. It's uh, Nathan Bookup. He was helping me do chores. I had a wedding that day, came out and Jasmine just laying in the doghouse, her head down. She's basically unresponsive. That's I told Nathan, I says, you do the chores. I'm going to go dig a grave. And I got the backhoe, dug a grave, came back, and she wasn't in the doghouse. And I says, Nathan, I called him on the phone. I didn't know where he was. I figured he probably, she died, and he put her in my truck so I wouldn't have to deal with it. And I called Nathan. I says, where's Jasmine? He says, I'm I'm walking her around. <laughs> and and uh, Wow. So he walked her for about the next four days, about 12 hours out of every 24. I mean, he, he walked her and walked her and walked her for me and I owe a lot to him, but eventually on about the fifth day after that, we, in the morning, she, we found her dead. And so my, my wife took over raising these orphan pups. She raised the entire litter, didn't lose any pups about 10 days old. She put a lot of effort and work into it, but, uh, Lazarus is named after his mother, Jasmine, who, who died and rose from the dead to take care of her pups ah, so I could have what I have today. That's I, That is a great story, uh, unfortunately, with a, a sad ending. <laughs> it's a sad for, ending, but it's a joyous but it, ending. Is it yeah, really it sad? It is, yeah, because Lazarus came forth, you know. Yes. And, they all did. Yeah. So, okay, so we got Lazarus. You ca uh, How many puppies? Um, There was... There was uh, two females and three males, I believe. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you kept two of the I males, kept, right? I kept two males. Um, my nephew kept a female. Um, there was a uh, female that 
that went to Louisiana and came back and ended up going to a, a guy in Wisconsin and that fella died and his roommate got it. It, it ended up being a house dog. Um, and there was a young boy that got one at plot days and it was JD hasty got this pup and he was gone bear hunting and the pup got out and got killed on the road. So, and then my nephew's Annie dog, uh, was poisoned and killed. So, I mean, it's, there's a lot of, a lot of tragedy goes along with the sport. Well, exactly what I was going to say there, you know, there are, uh, just so many dangers, uh, you know, the survival rate really on these coonhounds and bearhounds or whatever is really pretty remarkable considering, you know, what they have to face, you know, on a daily or nightly basis, you know, not only hunting dangerous game at certain, certain times, but highways and pitfalls. Imagine going full speed in, in the middle of the night through, I mean, I don't know. I don't know the science on the, what a dog sees at night. I've never really studied that or tried to deal with it, but their eyesight at night must be amazing. Or they're using their nose and, and navigating by their nose. I, I don't, don't know, know how they keep their vision. I mean, I, you would think they get their eyes poked with the briars and exactly. prickers. Exactly. Yeah. Very, it's amazing. So you kept two two pups, two males. Yes, Joe sir. is the other one, right? Yes, sir. Okay. And you still have Joe, I believe, right? Yes. Yes. Joe, Joe was actually my pick of the litter. Um, Lazarus was kind of an outlier. He was... He was obviously the alpha of the litter. He picked on every every pup in the litter, and so I'm I'm, I'm thinking Joe's my dog, but I want to keep Lazarus. I'm, in my mind, I see I see this dog. I'm thinking if I can manage that energy, if I can channel that energy, if I can if I can just keep it in line, this dog could really be special. But it's gonna it's gonna take some work. It's not something I can just lay back and you know get him out of the kennel when he's you know, six months old and then say, oh, he needs a little more time. This dog's going to take some, some daily, daily guidance. So that's, that's kind of how that came about. Joe fell out of a tree when he was six months old. Um, I remember walking in that tree and think, what are those big eyes up there? And just about then he fell out and he broke his sternum and he didn't bark for mm. a couple of months. And I, he finally got a little bit of a real soft bark and I, I gave him to a fella for uh, that said he was never wasn't interested in competition hunting, and he had him for about three months. And Joe's voice started coming back, and he decided he wanted to sell that dog, but he was mad at me, I guess, and wouldn't sell it to me. And this fella in Indiana named Alex Recker was interested in buying him, and except Alex was in a little financial pinch. So you know what I did. I loaned Alex the money to buy Joe. <laughs> <laughs> he figured out a way to buy Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. So that's how Alex and Bill. That uh, was that was the, the Alex first and Bill story started, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Alex has Joe, and you did. You were doing well with him. You were really excited about him. Yeah, we did. We won a cast at uh, at Lighters Ford, Indiana, and then. We went down to Autumn Oaks, and it was my first Autumn Oaks, and I was so excited. And we went in, and we scored a 1,000-plus with no minus and no circle. 
and didn't win our cast. We lost to the dog that won the whole dang thing. And I had guided it. And that was my first big hunt I had been in. And I was just, I was heartbroken. I was, I thought, man, I really got something here. And that dog put that last coon on me. And, uh, I, or I was treed, I was treed and, and, and all, if I had a coon, I won. And it was the only tree we circled all, or would have circled all night. But, uh, Alex was doing a great job with him. And then, you know how these plot dogs are sometimes, sometimes they, they stray a little bit. Alex is having a little trouble with Joe with possums after that. And he was living in the house with Alex. They were, they had really bonded. Well, he was a house dog from the man before me. I put him outside. He wouldn't hunt for me. Bring him inside. He'd start hunting again. <laughs> in other words, Bill had spoiled, or Cindy, probably yeah, had yeah. spoiled from birth. Before, huh? <laughs> from, well, you know, and I, this is not going to be at all about the pup that I have, but his story was similar to Lazarus. Yes, sir. Because his mother also died. Of a twisted stomach at what, 12 days or so? About that, yeah. I don't remember exactly the number and of days. Cindy stepped in and nursed those puppies back. Was it the practice she got with with Lazarus litter, you think? Well, I mean, we we're definitely more experienced. Um, she was pretty confident, and we didn't have 100% success on this litter. Um, I don't know why, but, uh, you know, we, we learned we learned a lot about uh, – milk replacer and the the real answer to that is is fresh unpasteurized goat milk is is our go-to um and we had a little trouble sourcing some fresh goat milk immediately and and use some uh goat goat uh milk replacer the first couple of days and it, now was this with Lazarus litter or with fevers with with the litter that fever fevers was out of, I yes. see. Yes, we we kind of got behind the eight ball on that and didn't have didn't have the goat milk. But I get. I'll let you in on a little secret. We've got goat milk in the freezer right now. We're prepared <laughs> if that ever happens again. Well, that's good to know. And you heard it here on the Gone to the Dogs podcast. We try to give useful information. So if you have orphan pups, uh, unpasteurized goat milk, and and you know, there's for a few dollars you can be prepared for these things. Um, but buy a, buy a feeding tube and, and do a little research or learning on, uh, how, how to use a feeding tube. It, I want to interrupt you there because that's intimidating to me. Even I've had puppies that I've had to bottle feed, you know, and the thing that we were always concerned about was getting liquid down in their lungs and all that stuff, but cramming a tube down a, a, a puppy that you're holding in the palm of your hand is an intimidating thing for me well it uh it, it's almost a two-person project i mean one of us holds the pup another and and you you need to know which side of the throat to put the tube on and you need to exactly. let, let the puppy swallow the tube and we we mark the tube with a permanent marker so we know about how how much we need to get down in them and if you feel resistance you know I, I guess I have a little bit of a of a feel for it because I'm in the the dog breeding business with the artificial insemination stuff. So I have a little bit of a feel when I feel that resistance to where it just it just 
I don't know. Those senses are awakened uh, in my hands, I guess. Well, to the listeners, I'm sure there's plenty of videos on YouTube or whatever on tube feeding puppies. But uh, that's something you definitely need to do if you're going to raise the litter pups. I mean, know how to do because you could possibly get in that position. And, and you know, you can order this. You can order a tube online for, you know, $2. And if you're not prepared and you lose your female and you can't, you know, sometimes you just can't get it. You need to feed those pups within the hour when when you lose their mother. You can't be horsing around for two days to order something. So, well, we chased that rabbit around the barn there, but I think that's good, useful information to anybody you know that's that's dealing with with pups. Okay, so Joe and Lazarus, you've got these two pups. What was the starting process as so, far as hunting? There's another one, Hawk. Hawk, Chris Matney down in Indiana. Oh, has that's the right. I forgot, he I forgot is. To mention yeah. That. In fact, what a tree dog, man. I love listening yeah. to his videos. I've been fortunate been a part of um, championing each one of these, each one of the males out of this litter. And uh, Hawk, Hawk was the most recent to finish. Um, I went down there for the, uh, the UKC Christmas classic at, um, Wayne County Coon Hunters, and uh, they had, uh, I took Hawk down there, and they had a double header, and I was able to go and double Hawk up and uh, got his fourth and fifth wins to to make him night champion. He's a nice outfit. Okay. I guess I can throw this question in right now because I don't want to lose it. Are Lazarus, Joe, and Hawk similar? No. They're different. All they're three of in, them. They're all individuals. There. They are three. I would tell you there's three different breeds of dog. I see. Okay, well, let's go back to starting these puppies. You know, what What was the, the not so much the process, but what did you see as you started to work with them? Um, a, a lot, a lot of drive. Um, these pups, we, we treat coon. Um, I think about five months old on a on a snow covered afternoon during the day, um, Lazarus and Joe treated their first coon. Um, it was just it was just really exciting. I have some video and photos of that day um, that Nathan was walking with me in the woods. We just took the dogs for a walk, and then they treat on this coon in in January, and it was just they were automatic. But uh, it, what was so exciting was these dogs. They they had to drive like an experienced dog. Like you just cut them loose and they would go. I mean, they weren't going, they weren't going a long ways. But you know, when you're cutting a five or six month old pup loose and it's going three or four hundred yards, and you're glad you got a tracking collar on it because you don't know what's next. I mean, it was it was exciting. Yeah. Well, I think that's a characteristic of the Lazarus dogs that I've seen. You know, it, this fever dog has that that drive, that desire. You know, when you turn him loose, he's going to go make something happen somewhere, you know. Absolutely. Very, very determined. People ask me about him and what is it, you know, what, how would you describe him? And to look for a word, I, I guess there's no better than determined. He's just darn determined to do whatever that's out there, you know, for him to do. All right. So. Um, if I can interrupt yeah, for a sure. second, Steve, you know, I. uh 
I, I see a lot of people, especially in the plot breed, you know, they, they, they get upset about dogs that are, don't have good kennel manners or pace in the yard. And I, I know that some dogs get called because that just, it wears on a man's nerves and that's not what they expect out of the plot breed. But, uh, I've, I've learned to tolerate a little bit of that because <sighs> I guess my thought is that I don't want that dog that's going to be under my feet. And that dog gets a little, got a little bit of ants in the pants, maybe a little bit like Alex, you know, <laughs> that dog's going to get out and get busy and get going. And my analogy is, is that that kid in second grade that's falling asleep in class, he's probably not going to end up being a doctor or a lawyer. It's going to be that one with the pencil jab and that girl next to him that ends up being the doctor or a lawyer. And, and that's kind of, you know, when, when you go from strictly pleasure hunting to wanting something that's going to be able to compete at a, in, in these night hunts, I think you want something with a little bit of, little bit of energy, a little bit of, little bit of fire, a little bit of ants. Well, this is probably a simple analogy, but if you watch the Kentucky Derby, as everybody tends to do, you know, when they've got that horse out there getting ready to put him in the gate and they're leading around and it's all that jockey can do plus a groom or whatever to hold that, that horse back, you know, and get him in position to go. Now, if you come out there leading, you know, the old gray mare, right. she's leading and she's being a real lady, but she's not going to win the Kentucky Derby. And, and you know, we have, again, with Fever, he's that kind of dog. He drives Mark nuts sometimes, you know, and it's just his energy and his desire to want to go. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's something you need to manage, you know. It's just, it's just yeah. one of those things you need to so understand. So basically you're saying, you know, if you – and you – you can bring these dogs inside. Oh, absolutely. We yeah. do. Yeah. But if you're a kind of a person that in every little thing a dog does irritates you, you're probably not going to like these dogs that much. Yes. You think? I guess, man, you know, when you talk about bringing a dog inside, that's one of the things that uh, excited me about my experience with the plots where they had so much energy, so much excitement, so much drive outside. But when you come in the door of the house, they just settle right down. It's like telling a kid, use your inside voice. And, <laughs> you know, the example you guys will remember probably uh, uh, Mark's friend, Brad Hyatt, the bear hunter from there in North Carolina, is a dog, a uh, little crossbred plot female. She looks like a plot, uh, Jingo. She won the dash race. Now, this dash race is what? What would you say that distance is? It's over 100 yards. I would it? say it's a couple hundred. A anyway. couple hundred yards. And they run the four-dog heats and all. And she won the whole thing overall, beat every dog on the, in that whole thing, which was 20-some heats. But what does she do? He brings her in here in this nice cabin that you provided for us, Bill. And she's laying on the couch sleeping yep. with his grandson, yep. just as calm as she can be. And uh, it's uh, it's really unusual, but uh, uh, she, uh, you know, she just was that perfect example of what you were talking about. Yeah, you know, just got a switch. Ultimate performance, and then at the same time, couch potato. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's how, how can you not enjoy a dog that you know is able to be that kind of a companion? I mean. 
I wish I could turn Alex off once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, Alex, you are you're really taking it a lot a lot on the chin, and we need to. Well, I, I want to get the story to the point where Alex really gets involved. Okay, let me let me let me lead to that here. Um, so, as as we talk about all this, there are moments in our lives that change the course of everything, and you know, saving those pups, uh, the dog, you know, baby girl getting killed on the road, the the Google search, and and so many things just. Change change the whole course of of things. Oh, the one thing I was going to mention earlier. So, baby girl, I never registered her. I was on her puppy papers. The next dog, Sadie, I uh, I got the what? It's the five generation that comes mm -hmm. standard from UK. Well, it it, or, it used to be three. Okay, maybe it's the three. Yeah, I think three so, is the basic. You can get the four. Okay, and, and all the way. So up I got the three generation on Sadie. I regretted it every day since, and every dog I've owned since then, I've got the seven generation on. All right. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Because because studying those pedigrees has become more important. Yeah. Real quick, you know, you hear these guys guys say, "Papers don't tree coons. Papers don't tree bears." But that's a tool, a tremendous tool to a breeder to be able to look back and see these crosses just right in front of you, you know. So, so little things change the, change the whole course of things. Um, Alex had, had a little trouble with Joe. Um, he was he very quit. defeated. He quit on me. We went from day one, tree and coon, when I got him from this, that, that man over in, uh, down fin to Finley. Finley, Ohio, yeah. I went over and picked him up and took him back to Indiana and I, I hunted I hunted his pads off. I'd, I I had him in the woods every day. We went and did some winning with him a little bit and one day he quit. And then he started treeing possums. And he for for two months he didn't tree me a pot or didn't tree a coon. And my hand started hurting, and I was just getting heavy-handed with him. And I, I called Bill after hunting one night. I, I'll never forget it. I was sitting in the Defiance Walmart parking lot, and I had cried. And then I called him, and I just, I can't do it no more. I'm going to kill this dog. I'm getting, I'm going to kill this dog. You got to come get him. I'll give him to you. I'll give him back to you. Just come get him. I'm, I'm sick of him. I can't deal with I, it no I more. Knew, I knew Alex was broken when he called. He just was I loved that defeated. Dog. And I sent him over to Bill's. And we worked with him a little while. I hunted him a little bit. And I sent him to my nephew. And he hunted him a little bit. And he he was, I think he was treeing squirrels. And and it just he just wasn't the dog we expected. And, you know, after my experience and Alex's experience and my nephew Todd's experience, you know, I said, I'm going to take this dog to the vet and I'm going to get him tested, tested for, for Lyme disease, tested for heartworm, tested thyroid. And he come back, his thyroid was low. And so I started him on thyroid medication. Todd had him keeping him at his place and he was, he would be hot and cold, hot and cold. You know, come to find out Todd wasn't being maybe as faithful as he needed to be with that thyroid medication. I brought the dog home and he gets his half a pill in the morning, half a pill in the evening. And he's he's the rock star that he was bred to be now. So, you know, that's really amazing. And I won't 
talk about it, but I had that experience too. And unfortunately, the dog of my experience was not kept steadily on medication either. But I think the people that have him now are going to do it right. So we'll see what happens. But that can be a big disappointment, no, no doubt. And, and not to change the course of the story, but but it is kind of the same story. Is is uh, so I, I'm a little bit involved in the in the canine reproduction business, and the the people I, I was having trouble getting a litter of pups out of Sadie. And so when I was training for the um, semen business, I talked to the people about hormones a little bit, and and you know told them what was going on with Sadie and they and they said that uh that thyroid is more than just the a number on the blood test they said you got to look for the symptoms you know and if the dog is is lazy during the daytime gaining a little weight um hormonal type activity where she is she was getting really out of sync um with her constant focus um before heat cycle and during and after heat cycle was lasting a long time, just very hormonal. They said, you know, it's, it's more than a number. See if your vet will put her on a low dose of thyroid medication. We, we did. And, and, and a, a few, few weeks later we had uh, a litter of pups or, I mean, she came in heat and we were able to breed her and had a litter of pups. So, I mean, mm -hmm. thyroid is more, more yeah. than that. So, I guess back back to our story. Um, little things that changed the whole course. COVID happened. I I got COVID, and I I struggled with it. I I was a long time bouncing back from it. Um, Alex's uncle Gordy wanted me to to hunt the Peach Classic. I wanted to go down there, but I I just didn't feel that I was going to be strong enough to hunt a two hour hunt. Gordy says, "I think I can get you a handler." That's where Alex came in. <laughs> I see. Yeah. It was just supposed to be for that event. <laughs> I was just supposed to go down and so handle for went the down Peach to class. Georgia, the Charlie Daniels. Well, we shouldn't make that uh, uh, yeah. connection. Who was it that went down to, Dan uh, to Georgia in that song? I couldn't the tell. The devil went down to Georgia. The devil. Yeah, I was going to say it. It's copper top here, <laughs> Alex. He's got this great hair, man, and great red beard there. It's cool. Goatee. Goatee. Yeah, Alex and I went down there, um, and, well, Alex was going through a little bit of a, a tough time in his life then mm -hmm. and was looking for a place to live, and I told him that uh, – I I had a uh, a mobile home, wasn't any Taj Mahal, but uh, he ought to come and look at it when he got when we got home, and he came to look at it and moved in, and he's been working on the farm for me and helping with dogs for what year a year now, yeah, um, well, a couple of weeks will be, yeah, but uh, you know Alex and I have a pretty good partnership. We're we're two different individuals. But uh, we both we both have something that the other one needs. Um, yeah. Alex has got the youth, the drive. Um, he's got he's got a, what it, what it takes to to argue with these guys in these competitions yeah. when they try to put one over on him. 
Um, <laughs> Try to be nice. I can't just imagine not. that. Has there ever been an argument? Okay, on a maybe he doesn't argue. He'll, <laughs> I don't argue. I just tell you. <laughs> <laughs> he'll dispute your call. Right. Yeah. Oh, I see. But I see. Uh, I'm I'm 60 years old, and I'm not as young and strong as I once was. But uh, um, you know, I've I've been I've been blessed in my career. I've been blessed with some good dogs and some great opportunities. And uh, you know, Alex and I come together, and we we kind of fill each other's gaps. Um, I've got, I've got some experience in, in managing people, I guess. Sure. Um, you know, I, I, and, and like I say, opportunities presented themselves and, and, and I was, I was able to be coached as a, as a manager. I mean, it started out way back in, in high school. I was the captain of the wrestling team, captain of the football team, president of the FFA, you know, in the college, I was the captain yeah. of the wrestling team and, and uh, president of my fraternity. And I've spent 20 years as a, as, on the soil and water board, you know, in the, in the, in the public sector, I learned some new skills in the public sector versus the private sector. So, I mean, and I've managed people on the farm. So I, I kind of, Keep Alex at bay once in a while. But are you telling me, despite all of these leadership roles, you're able to really lead coon hunters? Well, one, <laughs> one, one, one was that enough. was you know, something. All my career, thirty-three years, I never quite mastered. That. No, I, I don't. I don't attempt to lead coon hunters, but I, yeah. I, 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 I think kid. it's important to to look at people especially people that work for you, work with you and understand their strengths, their weaknesses oh, yeah. Absolutely. and, and, you know, prop them up where they need propped up and give them a little, little, little rope where they can take it. Well, let's get Alex side of the story. Okay. We All know, right. We know you're the boss. Okay? Do, I have you're to, the, do I have to be quiet? You're now? the guy well, like that he writes did? the checks. Okay. So we need you. Okay. Like I say, I, I really enjoyed this terrific cabin that you found for us here, about 10 miles out from the grounds this weekend. We've had a ball. But uh, Alex, okay, so you and uh, you go down to Georgia and you hand. Now, I think your uncle handled Lazarus down there. Was that the, the year same before? Hunt? Oh, the year before. That was okay. the year before. He okay. was only 16 months so, old then. So, about, or how old was Lazarus when you? Took took over the the reins, so to speak. Um, I, I would say just turned three. So you handled just, him at plot days when he won the Isaiah Kid Award. I did. Right? Yes. Okay. Right. Um, I had gotten him in in well right after right after the Peach Classic. Okay. End of March. I, I took him home at the end of March, and uh, don't get me wrong. Bill had a very very nice dog. He was, he was a very nice coon dog. I needed to push him a little bit and turn that into harness it. Um, figure, he was it, just some things I needed him to stop doing and get a little more independent and, and really focus and work on things. And I was, I lived in Indiana and, um, I lived right on Salamone and, uh, right there at Salamone, it's, it's rough hunting, but there's a good cut coon population and and a lot of good dogs come out of that area and we hunted on that lake every night every night i was working second shift went in three got off at eleven thirty. i could be home 
grab the dogs, put a light on, and get in the woods by midnight. I only lived a, a few miles from where I worked. And that summer, every single night, no matter, we were in that woods getting ready for plot days. I, yeah. I knew I had a dog that had a chance. All right. And uh, Well, interrupt real quick. These guys talk about them getting ready for a hunt, getting ready for a hunt. Essentially, I mean, there's a lot of guys that believe, well, I just go to hunt. I'm a coon hunter. I go to a hunt on weekends. That's what I do. I don't, you know, I do other things during the week. There are but, those types, and that's fine, too. They are coon hunters. It's an old saw, as they say, an old adage that, you know, the money gets made through the week. They just hand out the checks on the weekend, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, isn't that the pretty much it, for abs- our listeners abs- out there absolutely. that want to get into competition? There, I yeah. know some guys. There, there are guys out there that don't have the hunting that, that or the 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 availability. They just don't have the ground to hunt if they don't have state land available. Some of these guys go to competition hunts just to have somewhere to hunt, and it, it's it's a terrible thing for it. But I got to respect those guys. I, if I didn't have the ground to hunt, I'd pay $35 to go hunt somewhere, even if it just was for an hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, you got Lazarus and you hunted him, you hunted him, hunted him. How did, how I thought did... he was ready. I, well, let me let me take that back. I, I We went to, after, after that, we went to a, a local hunt after about a month. I drove back over and I wanted to see if, uh, I wanted to see how, where he was at and we took him to a local hunt there <laughs> and in the early round the dog beat me because it was my fault i i had done all this talking on lazarus and then i mess up and i miss it early around it, but but we got it late round and that that made him night champion and then uh we didn't hunt him again until or yeah we yeah we did we 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 hunted a couple blue tick days walker days are the two that are before, um, before plot days. And I had a double cast win at blue tick days that year in a, in a, or at Walker days in a, in a single cast win at, at blue tick days. Is that the blue tick hunt at Ashland, Ohio? No, the, that, oh, that's the spring hunt. The, oh yeah. Um, You're talking actually, actually blue days, tick days, national blue tick, yeah. which just happened to be at Wayne County okay. Hunters in Indiana that year. So plot days then was that where? Bellevue. Bellevue, Michigan. Yes, sir. My old home club. <laughs> Close yeah. enough that we could almost call it, you know, we were hunting yeah. pretty much our home territory. It was about 50 miles from me, but it was the best club around in in the general area. There was a club, a pretty good club at Marcellus. Mm. But, uh, I like yeah, all the Michigan Wyatt, clubs. Northern Indiana, those mm-hmm. good, yeah. So, anyway, just in a... Give me the Cliff Notes version of uh, Plot Days. How, plot how Days, we went in Thursday night, and uh, we it was a rough situation. They, anyway, our guide, he 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 wasn't a guide. He, they It was somebody somebody called, and he said, yeah, I'll show them where to hunt. And he dropped our cast off, and he said, go through here. It's two miles to the back of it. We cut our dogs. Dogs come right back, and we go in. And we walk and we get walk 30 feet through the trees and we're standing on a blacktop road. It was only 30 feet wide. <laughs> and that guy had left. He was gone. Oh, my. So we called Stephen King. Stephen King came over 
uh, he was guiding the other cast. He, I happened to have his phone number. He came and got it fixed up, won that cast. Okay. Um, come back in Friday night, had put up a 575, fairly good score. Oh, man, we're going into Saturday, and we got a shot at this. Triple cast win guarantees it for us. But if it doesn't, there's um, – You didn't have it Ed on Choates. the score. Ed Choates could uh, – Choates – I don't remember which dog it was, but Ed Schultz could catch us and another guy. Um, and that, that didn't happen. We were lucky and we, we came in with a 550 score on, on the Saturday and, uh, and, and we're able to take home the Isaiah Kid Award, which we were pretty proud of. You know, the special thing about that is you hunted three nights, no circle. No minus points, all plus points in three nights of hunting. In Michigan, in June. Yeah, yeah. Well, we were finding coons, that's for sure, because the leaves are out up there. Mm -hmm. But one thing about Michigan, there's coons there. Yes, there are. Of course, you live in an area where there's coons, too. Absolutely. But I always guided the cast, you know, whenever they needed me to guide. And I'd I'd either bring them all the way back home or I would have uh, the president send them to me there you know and i'd wait at the local mcdonald's and they'd show up and i'd take them hunting but those were the days best coon hunting days of my life for that, the years i lived in Michigan. that saturday night at plot days miss kitty was the other was another dog in my cast on that saturday night cast and it i there was four dogs in the cast i honestly couldn't tell you who the other two were i don't not to be disrespectful to them it was eddie anderson and i back and forth all night and She's a nice dog. She's a very, Eddie's very nice got, dog. Eddie, Big Eddie from Kentucky, yes, sir. is now the president of National Flyhound yes, he Association. He's the new prez. Yes, sir. And Eddie's been a solid Great guy. Man. Great lot, man. A lot of good dogs down through the years. Well, we've kind of, uh, between a couple of fits and starts there, we're about 55 minutes here, and then we had another 15 or so before. So so we're looking at like an hour and 10 minutes in here. So we're wearing uh, people out, you're saying? Well, <laughs> we try to keep them somewhere between an hour, an hour and a half. Uh, if, they start uh, getting expensive after that. Yeah. <laughs> but no, let's talk about anything that's on your heart. Something that you thought I was would ask you, but I didn't, or something you've thought of as we're talking. the The main thing here is to get back to our theme of hunting plot dogs or sticking with plot dogs. And of course, if you have success with the dog, that's going to make you stick. Uh, but overall, you know, why would a guy? If he's if he's in the stud dog business, I mean that's what he wants to do is breed dogs and collect stud fees. The plot breed's probably not the best breed to go into because the numbers aren't there. I I use and maybe you can refute this. I used to have guys tell me all the time, boy, I'd like to have a nice plot. Man, if I got a good plot that could win, I could own the world. I could, you know, I could uh could uh, you know just rack up, you know? But uh, uh, you know, do you have any any uh, views on that at all, Bill? I I do. Um, so we'd like to promote Lazarus as a stud. 
Um, and there's there's some challenges with promoting any any plot male as a stud. One of the things you run into is what we talked about earlier. People that are hunting plots are passionate about their plots. And a lot of times that passion is driven by past experience, past experience with dad or grandpa or your, your hunting buddy. And so the first place you look is in your yard, those dogs you've had that outstanding experience with, where if you're take all, all the, all that passion, all those experiences out of the picture. If your, your goal is to win hunts, like a lot of the people in the Walker breed are doing, they're looking when they want to breed that female, they're looking for who was the most recent world champion, you know, who's been the world champion in the last couple of years. But, uh, that's kind of just a different, different mindset by, by people in the plot breed, you know, we're, Mm -hmm. we're more passionate, I think. Well, that's a good way to put it. You know, I, in just bare bones terms, you'd say, you know, plot people like to breed in their own backyard instead of going, you know, out and seeking out maybe something that could better them themselves, you know. Is that what you're saying at all, or am I missing the, the, the Yes, yes and no, but, I mean, these people, my experience with the people that are in, in this breed is that it's – they're in it for a different reason, and I and gotcha. that, and if you can continue that experience, you know, to to propagate and have a have a son or a grandson, it's kind of the feeling like like a parent has a son. You know, they'd like to see him follow in their footsteps. If I can, if I can bring that back and and relive that, and I guess it kind of leads into, um, you know, I've got this. Uh, cryogenic business at home where I'm yeah I want you to talk a little bit about that and let her, let the listeners know where they can get in touch with you if they're interested in your services I'm, I want to tag that okay well I, I tell people contact me all the time and you know they, and one of my specialties is working with some of the older dogs because most of the people that do what I do freezing semen aren't willing to work with an older dog um I say it's because I I have another job. This is something I do in my pastime, but I do it for for people who are passionate. They say if, if that dog means something to you, it's worth freezing, it's worth collecting. And I'll explain the odds to you that the older dog may not have as good odds of of the survival or getting a, a, a litter of pups off of him. But if you're willing to spend the money, I, I don't want to deny you that opportunity where some of these clinics, they only want to freeze top quality semen because, and I didn't realize it, semen gets sold from one person to another and it gets shipped all over the country to different reproduction clinics. And most people in this business want the reputation of having, you know, it, it came from my my predecessor, Dean Beitzel. When it came from Dean, we were going to get good stuff. We'd be proud of, you know, you're going to get a nice litter of pups and, I may have the reputation that he freezes those old dogs and you might be wasting your money. You might not get a litter of pups. I don't care. I'm, I'm helping my fellow houndsmen. And, and, and I, I talk to people all the time, you know, I got this old dog and well, first thing I explain is you should have done this years ago. And I explain why, and the odds aren't in your favor, but you know what? I'm willing to work with you. I'll do what we can. Sure. 
So half a loaf's better than none sometimes. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Well, how do they get in touch with you? Do you have a website? Do you have a, a uh, Facebook? A, a, face, a Facebook page. Um, so I run, I have a personal page, Bill Schinninger. I have a, my kennel page, Saddle Up Plots. And then we also have a page, Saddle Up Canine Cryo. And they can message me through that. Um, I've got business cards and my phone numbers. I can share that, 419-467-7689. We're in Northwest Ohio. Uh, Location means a lot to people because you're transporting your dogs to me. And then I can store the semen, or if you have a way to transport your semen and a place to store it, that's fine too. But uh, that's something that I got started with because my experience, of my experience, um, I've got a little bit of an education and I like to learn new things. And I bought that link dog that we talked about earlier. I took him out to Dean before I ever took him to the woods. And Dean says, oh, he's an old dog. And <laughs> he, I did beg, beg him to freeze him the first time, but he would never do it again. I took him to a couple other clinics and they said, he's just too old. And yeah. I just decided that one, I want to be an advocate for pe- for the, the industry to get your young dogs frozen. Mm-hmm. Um, get And actually, I, I tell people to get your young dog checked when he's, I mean, your fever dog, Steve, we need to get him checked. He's 14, 15 months old. Um, how long do you want to campaign him and find out he's sterile? Yeah. You know, because yeah, the, yeah. you'd be surprised yeah. the number of dogs that are sterile. Sure. Well, that's something that uh, Mark and I've already discussed and plan to do. And, and you know, uh, there's a lot of reasons for that, I think. But uh, uh, breed them early, I think, is, is always uh, the best uh, choice. Um, but you need to know what, you know, kind of what you got before you start, you know, dipping into that basket. But, yes. Uh, but on, on the... You know, if you if you have an opportunity to breed, breed at least get the get your semen analyzed so you know what you've got. Because here's what happens: is we're all procrastinators in a way. So you, your dog gets to be two and a half years old. Well, he's doing pretty good. We we ought to breed him. Let's get a litter of pups out of him. So it takes another six months. You get to, to find a female three years old. You breed that female. Two months later, she has a litter of pups, and those pups get to be. 10 months old well he's reproducing so now yeah. your now your dog's what he's four and a half instead <laughs> yeah. of just turning well you're right right and, and you know uh, there's something to be said about using um ai for these dogs these dogs are in competition young dogs you know, the the mental Absolutely. aspect of it all hey we got to do another podcast just on this reproductive stuff because i know you can talk all day about it and i want to hear it you know, but okay. Well, I'd be happy to do that with you, Steve. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not the expert, but I do have a little experience. I do have some, some strong feelings, some philosophies, some ideas, and I'm here to help houndsmen. Um, most of my business is with, is with coon hunters, but, uh, you know, I, I like, I enjoy educating people and I want to want them to understand what they need to do, what they can do, what their opportunities are. Um, it's like I say, I, I want to be an advocate for people to get their dogs checked young and, and frozen young. So absolutely great advice, Bill. 
And Alex, it's really been a pleasure to have you guys on the podcast today. I think uh, my three days of talking nonstop has finally <laughs> put my voice out of commission. Well, we've we've enjoyed your company, Steve, and and I, I gotta I gotta throw out a you know a plug to Alex. I appreciate everything he's done for me. Um, I I wouldn't be where I am today with without him. Um, I just I just couldn't do it. So. Um, yeah, well, I've really enjoyed spending this these few days with Alex. And my first time I saw Alex, I said, "Who's this guy, man? He's he's got way too much energy." <laughs> well, but after I get to know you, Alex, I've really enjoyed the experience. We've joked around, kidded each other, and a lot of give and take, and all. But it's been a really good. Day. I I think uh, I think Bill's been a a good influence on my life and. And 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 we're getting somewhere. So good. Well, let's just real words. quickly give kudos where kudos are due. Saddle up plots, which is your kennel name, Bill, has had a pretty darn good weekend here at APA Breed Days. I think it was started off. I attended the meeting, and they you were named uh, their coon hunter of the year. Is that right? Yes, sir. It it's a, it's an honor to be recognized by your peers and i i value that and the, the apa has been good to me and and i i appreciate them recognizing well and they also awarded lazarus the coonhound of the year award two two years running i believe well well they a, didn't have one for the year before and then he won that last year's apa days so when he won this year they said oh well since we didn't have an award he, that's 21, too. Right, right. And then uh, Cowboy, he kind of showed his stuff on, on the bench, first of all, winning, what, the champion uh, male two days yes, in sir. a row, right? Yes, sir. And then the biggie, you were king of the hunt with Cowboy. Yes, sir. We uh, – Saturday – or Friday night, he um, – Thursday, nobody in the hunt. There was there was six casts. Um, they were all dead. There, there, there was no coons in Tennessee on 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 Thursday night. It was pretty windy night. I know, but I went it was out just, and, and we couldn't sat find in a nothing. truck while you were. We hunting. tried. It was terrible. Cow, cowboys out of Lazarus's first litter, and we were we were blessed to have a nice female to breed him to, and and uh, he's he's been showing. Lazarus has been showing us uh, that he can reproduce, and and you've got an example of that with with Mark. Well, we we were out there Thursday night. Mark was, I think, he drove about thirty miles out and all, and ended up with a, as we say, a dead cast, no plus points like everybody else. But Mark, uh, he's had a lot of fun with Fever in these uh, events of different kinds, and. It's just kind of fun with this pup. You, you say, wonder if he'll do this. And you put him in and he does, you know. So he got, he was in his first dash race. This, oh, just, just, this is just a first for, for me this weekend. I have, a, a, we had a litter of pups here 10 months ago now, or 11 months ago. And uh, I kept a pup that, that I liked out of, Lazarus in a female we called Jinx, and uh, I brought him along this weekend just because I wanted to show him off. He is the prettiest dog 
anybody he's bigger than Lazarus and he's he's just beautiful but he's only ever seen one cage coon in his whole life and he didn't bark at it very well he and he was a pup you know it was early I just wanted to see fooling around and but he's so loud he's he's one of the loudest plots I've ever heard so I brought him along this weekend just to put him in that treeing contest yeah see just kind of show See up. What he would do. Well, I'm, I didn't even, I hoped he would bark at the coon, but really I just wanted to show off that voice of how loud he is. And uh, I, I was really tickled. Fever, Mark walked up with fever and fever barked at that coon from 30 feet away a few times. And that pup realized what it was. He started looking down and he went to barking crazy. And we cut, I cut him in there when it was his turn and he went in there and he treated the whole time. Cool. And stayed hooked. Well, Mark, uh, he real briefly, just for his sake, and I'll give 100% of the credit on as far as the training and, and where fever's been and what he's accomplished tomorrow. But of course, if Bill hadn't have bred him, uh, you know, this, we wouldn't have this story, but fever had a good time in the, in the, Coon and bear train contest and in the water race. So he yep. he took home some hardware. Yeah, so Mark we, took home a truckload of hardware. Yeah, so and dog food. And, yeah, <laughs> a lot of dog food. They were uh, they had pride dog pride food. Pride sponsored this pound bag. Man, I think they took home every, eight bags. Man, they must have given a semi load of dog food away here. But well, listen, guys, it was a great weekend, and uh, I know that that long road's uh, looking. Uh, it's getting longer. longer <laughs> <laughs> so we need to wrap this thing up. I do want to uh, thank my friends, Buddy Woodbury, Jason Doobie out at W Hunting Supply, dusupply.com. Those guys are just great. They make this podcast possible. You need anything in the line of hunting gear or apparel, especially your electronics, and you need service to back it up. Those are your guys, dusupply.com. Thanks again to Bill Schinniger, to Alex Recker for coming on Gone to the Dogs this week, and this podcast will be airing. Uh, I don't have the dates in front of me, but the... uh, uh, the John Strickland podcast is on, I think, as we speak. No, uh, uh, tomorrow I will be having uh, representatives from Utah Houndsman and also from uh, Michigan Hunting Dog Federation. And then the following that episode, we'll have this episode with Bill Scheninger and Alex Recker. So once again, if anybody anybody asks you where Steve Fielder is, you'll be uh, pretty safe to tell them that he's gone to the dogs. Mm-hmm.